Well, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. I want you to think about something with me. What if today you had walked into church, and after everyone had gotten seated, I stood up and said this. Okay, everybody, we've learned enough about the Lord together. It's time for a test. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, get on this side. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, get on this, this side. And we've drawn a line in the middle, and if you're not sure or you feel like you're a little bit of both, just stand in the middle right here. You know, that reminds me of a passage over in Joshua chapter 24. We used to sing a song in our youth group in Georgia when we, when we were growing up, and it was called, Whose Side Are You Standing On? Standing on the Lord's side. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it came from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. I prayed about it, but the Lord led me otherwise. It says, uh, Joshua 24, verse 14 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua challenged the people. And did you notice something different from what I just said? The reality is, you either follow Jesus Christ or you don't. There's no middle ground. There's no line. There's no fence to straddle. But some of us sure are trying, aren't we? And today, we need to look at God's Word and talk about that. We need to turn back to the book of Ephesians where we've been studying about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And what we've been learning in this section in Ephesians 4 and 5 is that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that will show up in the way I live my life. Today, we need to deal with the fact that there are many people who say that they are Christians, but we seem awfully comfortable getting close or at least becoming involved in, or even becoming involved in, things that are clearly not of Him. You might be trying to ride the fence with God today, but that is never acceptable in God's Word. When we're living a life like that, it either means that I really actually do not have a personal relationship with God, or it means there, I do have a relationship, but there are some things that I need to get straight with Him. Well, Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14, we're going to talk about which way are you going. That's the challenge that Paul gives to the Ephesians here. He, he tells them in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Isn't that a great image? And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave up himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Paul says, listen, like precious, very deeply loved children. Isn't that a great image? Like precious children that God loves so much. I want you to think about some things, he says. Now, now, what do children who have a good relationship with their parents do? They want to be like their mom and dad, don't they? Sometimes I'll be sitting on the couch watching TV, and I'll look over at my youngest son, Drew, and you know what? He's sitting just like I am. Or I'll be working on a project, which is kind of scary, but I'm effective at times. I'll work it on the car or doing some woodwork or something like that. You know what he's doing? He's going grabbing some tools and he's turning his wrenches and his sockets on things and he's trying to figure it out and fix it too. He wants to be like Daddy. Paul tells them and us, if you are one of God's precious, dearly loved children, 
you are going to want to be like your dad, like your father. You'll want to imitate him. In fact, that's what it says in verse, verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. That's the word that we get our word mind from. He says, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll want to match his movements. You'll want his actions to be your actions, just like a person who's doing a mind. And verse 2 tells us if we were acting like God, we'd be living a life that'd be characterized by love, the kind of love that Jesus Christ showed when he sacrificed his life for us. And that kind of life, that kind of offering, instead of, remember we talked about in chapter 4, if we're not living for God, what does that do to God? It grieves him. It brings tears to his eyes. It brings sorrow to his heart. Instead of that, it brings a sweet, fragrant aroma to God. Isn't that great? Don't you want to be a blessing to God? Don't you want to bring joy to God's heart? He says, first of all, put your trust in me as your Savior, then make it your aim with my help to live your life the way that I would live it through you. But again, not everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ is living their lives that way. And in fact, to some degree, all of us are not doing that. We probably need to think about this. So Paul leads, or God leads Paul to challenge them and to challenge us with this idea of which way are you going? So let's start by basically in verses 1 through 11, or the first part of 11. He asks this question. I believe what the point of what Paul's saying in verses 1 through 11 is, do you enjoy sin? Do you enjoy doing things that God says he does not want for your life? Do you enjoy doing your way instead of God's way? Let's read verses 1 through 11. He says, uh, we'll pick up in verse 3 because we've already read verses 1 and 2. He says, but immorality or any impurity, or greed, and listen to this, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there mustn't be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Then in verse 7, the point really, I believe, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing or well-pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Apparently, not all of these people in this church family were living like God wanted. So he says in verse 3, If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there are some things that you and I should not be known for. In fact, he goes, he goes pretty far. He says, We should not even have those same things mentioned in the same breath as our lives. What are those things? He says, Immorality. What is immorality? Sometimes your Bible is translated fornication, but immorality is really kind of the word that we use today. Immorality means sex outside of one man and one woman committed for life. Did you hear me, friends? This is not a moral code of suggestions for us to consider. God says, if you are his child, if I am his child, we should not be having sexual relationships with anyone unless I'm married to a person in a lifelong commitment of the opposite sex. Period. That's immorality. Anything outside of that, the Bible says, should not even be named about my life. 
Then he says, any or all impurity. That just means filthiness. That covers a lot, doesn't it? There's a lot that's filthy in this world. And usually we know what it is, don't we? We can sense when things just aren't right. Things feel what? They feel dirty, don't they? They feel tainted. I like that, that picture of impurity. Purity sounds like, wow, it's the way it's supposed to be. And impurity sounds like it's tainted. There's a, there's a spot on my shirt. And I can't wear it because it's not right. It's dirty. He says we should stay away from greed. We should stay away from desiring the things of others or, or a self-focus. Here's what I want for my life. Now, this passage to this point has not been focused on sexual sin. But it's interesting that each one of these areas are either directly or indirectly related to that area of our lives. And maybe it's because he said in verse 1, I want you to walk in love. Well, here's the world's version of love, right? It's immorality or impurity or greed, wanting a relationship with others that we're not supposed to have. And he's telling us that, listen, the world perverts God's love. Regardless, it sounds like that their time period was not much different than ours. One of the biggest areas of struggle for them was regarding sexual matters. Then Paul says in verse 4, in case you didn't get the point of what I was saying, when I said that phrase, it shouldn't even be named among you, he said, I don't even want you talking about those things. Someone has summarized the words used as expressing this thought. Basically what Paul's saying this, this is a dirty mind expressing itself in dirty conversation. He says, listen, uh, there must be no filthiness. That's generally just obscenity. There must be no silly talk. Actually, please forgive me for I tell my kids not to use the word stupid, but actually that's the word that's foolish talk. It's stupid. It's, 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 it's silliness. Things like somebody would say when they're drunk. You ever been around somebody who's kind of lost control and they say silly things? Or coarse jesting. What does that mean? It's kind of hard to, to understand. What is coarse jesting? It means a, a quick-witted person who can make a nasty joke or remark out of any conversation. You ever been around anybody like that? Maybe there's some people here today that you're really good with your tongue. And it's just, sometimes it's just, it's hard to, to, to miss that good opportunity, right? Just to make that little comment. Those kind of things, though, the Bible says should not even be named among us. The Bible says it's not fitting, it's not proper for saints. You say, oh, good, because I'm not a saint. Well, if you are a child of God, you are a saint. That's what the Bible teaches. Any child of God, a saint means a holy one, one who's been set apart. You've been chosen by God as his child and set apart for his special purposes. And that's exactly why saints, children of God, should not be doing those things because we've been set apart to live different than that. He says, not just don't do it, but don't get close to it. Don't talk about it. Don't flirt with it. Don't read about it. Don't watch it. Don't joke about it. In fact, instead of being crude and, and dirty, he says we ought to be known for being thankful. And that's quite a change, isn't it? Instead of knocking things down, we ought to be saying, I'm glad for things. I'm thankful for things. And by the way, just as a side note, we don't have time to chase that rabbit today but i really think i really believe as i read god's word and in my own experience that thankfulness is a big indicator of spiritual maturity a person's ability to be thankful to god in every situation but i want you to notice the key emphasis in these verses it's in verse 7 it's in verse 11 it's clearly spelled out as a child of God, and Paul's saying, I'm assuming all you guys that I'm writing to, and, and I'm assuming that, that most, if not everybody here today, is a child of God. If, you, if you're not, then, then you can be. 
by receiving Christ as your Savior. But he says, listen, a child of God in verse 7 should not be partakers in those kind of things. Verse 11 says they should not participate in those kind of things. Both of those words are talking about partnership. The one in verse 11 actually is a word for fellowship, but it has a preposition added to it that makes it, it, makes it translated close fellowship. And we know what fellowship means, does it? It means connection. It means partnership. It means participation in one another's lives. And this is talking about close fellowship. We should not have that close of a relationship with things that are not from God. The Bible tells us we should not, as a believer in Jesus Christ, be able to enjoy sin. We are still going to commit sin, but we shouldn't want to. Amen? We shouldn't feel at home there. We shouldn't be willing to partner with that. And then notice a couple of clear challenges throughout these verses, in verses 5 through 6, and then in verses 8 through 10, he says, this is the way you used to be, but if you're a child of God, you should no longer be. He says, let me just read verse 5. He says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, basically who worships someone or something other than God, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Guys, just tell us, listen, okay, let's draw a line this morning. Let's put a line down the middle of the room and let's say, are you a follower of Jesus Christ or not? Okay? And again, remember we said there is no middle ground. I either follow Christ, I am his child, or I'm not. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, there's a group that was kind of running around in some of the areas during this time that we look back and, and we call them Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that the spirit and the physical were separate. Now, it's an interesting philosophy, but I want to tell you how it played out in real life. Since the physical and the spiritual are separate, watch how convenient this is. You can love God spiritually, but you can do whatever you want to with your body physically. Well, isn't that convenient? Some of that same sort of compartmentalizing happens today, doesn't it? Somehow, we can rationalize claiming in my head or even feeling in my heart that I follow Jesus Christ. We can rationalize that with committing clear, outright sin against God. And we can say to ourselves, there's a spiritual part of me, and then there's a other part of me. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul says, do not be deceived. What is God telling them and God telling us as followers of Jesus Christ? Yes, we're going to stumble, aren't we? We're going to sin. We're going to make wrong decisions. We're going to start going down the wrong path sometimes. But ultimately, if I do know Jesus as my Savior, I cannot be happy with sin. I can't partner with it. I can't participate regularly in things that I know God is not pleased with. Someone has said this, a Christian is not sinless, but he does sin less. Amen? I can promise you, I'm going to let you down. But I hope if you look at my life today, that I do that less than I, than I did many years ago. Amen? So I want to ask some very important questions. If you and I say that we know God and we loved Him, have you took a, have you took a check of which way your life is going? Are you happy? Are you able to enjoy things that you know God says are wrong? Let's get specific. You ready? Okay, you and I should not be comfortable breaking our marriage vows. That should be a problem for us. 
we should not feel at ease talking intimately with someone other than our spouse. Young people, you should not be okay with sexual compromise before marriage. You know what? It should bother us, even though in our culture today, many people can do this, but it should bother us and it should cause us to feel selfish and it should cause us to feel like we're violating someone else's privacy by looking at images of their body in a magazine or online. That should bother us. It should not be right. I should not feel partnered together with that. Hey, guys, those, those jokes that the guys at work uh, tell about their, quote, I know, old lady. That's what they call it, don't they? About my old lady, the crudeness they use with the waitress at the restaurant, that should not sit well with you. It shouldn't feel right anymore. It shouldn't feel fun, does it? Ladies, dressing immodestly or in suggestive ways that attempt to draw attention towards you from other men other than your husband, that should not be fulfilling to you anymore. You should not want that. You shouldn't want to hurt their thought life. You shouldn't want to hurt their marriage, and you shouldn't want to compromise your own. If you're a quick wit, if you're the kind of person that can say things that, that, you know, and sometimes that kind of person can be a fun person to be around, can't they? But have you taken things beyond being funny? And actually, if you were honest, you'd have to say, I've actually gotten to the point that I can humiliate somebody pretty good in front of other people. Are you okay with that? Or is that starting to feel filthy? Is it starting to feel dirty? It's not as fun anymore to take advantage of somebody else. Again, just because you've done uh, some of these things at some point doesn't mean you're not a child of God. But if you are a child of God, you should feel less and less comfortable with it. And if you and I can continue to do it over and over again without any desire for change or repentance is what the Bible calls it, then maybe we need to ask ourselves, whose side am I standing on? Am I really a child of God? I'm encouraged that there were people in the early church who struggled like me. Amen. Aren't you glad? I mean, and so the fact is, as I look at the struggle in my life, I can say, hey, that's me coming out of an old way of living and God just helped me to keep making progress. Or it could be, hey, that's me having never come out of that old way at all. Now, I don't know your heart. And that's where we have to be careful not to poke our finger at people. I can't judge your life. But you before God have to ask yourself, do I enjoy sin? Is that something that I can partner with and and participate in? But you know what's neat about God? God doesn't just say, don't do things. God doesn't just say, I'm going to take things out of your life and you're going to be empty. God actually turns it completely in the opposite direction. Where I used to kind of go along with sin, I used to enjoy that, I used to partner with it. Now it's not just that I want to stop doing that, but I actually want to see it stopped. Amen? I want to see sin stopped in my life, and I want to help others to be able to stop it in their lives. And so the second question is, do you expose sin? Do you enjoy it, or do you expose it? In in verses 11 through 14, let's read those verses. The second part of 11, well, let me just start again with the first part. It says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. That's what we just talked about. But instead, even expose them. Do you know how strong God is? You know what? I'm so thankful that God doesn't just take things away, but he replaces it with something better. He gives me a purpose. He gives me a plan. He gives me a partnership. He took away one partnership, right? I can't partner with wrong anymore and be happy about it. And so he just doesn't leave me alone. He says, I got another partnership for you. I want you to work together with me 
to do something about this problem. But instead, even expose them, expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. At the end of verse 11, he says, Not only stay away from it, but I want you to be involved in exposing it, in calling it what it is, in not allowing it to have free reign anymore. In other words, God's work is not just a reactive thing, it's a proactive thing. God doesn't just say stay off drugs, or God doesn't just say don't cheat on your spouse anymore. He says this, he says, don't be afraid of that. Help uncover the danger of it. Get involved in exposing it, in shedding light on it, in telling the truth about it. You've experienced it. You know how bad it can be. You know what it can destroy. So now you can be a very person to help uncover the truth about it. You don't have to run from it. Launch an offensive against it. Amen? What excites me about God is that He is not afraid. Friends, listen to this. God is not afraid of the truth. Listen. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. God is not hiding in an alley somewhere. He's not keeping things from us or from others. He's not doing anything illegal. When all the facts are out, when everything's on the table, God's way will be best. We'll we'll say, yeah, I don't know why I never saw that. His way will be right. It'll be true. Some of us here today have lived our lives in secrecy, haven't we? We have to go to alleys or private rooms or secret websites. Or we have to hide things in a closet or in secret bank accounts. Or we have to watch what we say or or who we say it to so we won't get caught. One of the most awesome things about God is that He is truth. And the Bible says in John 8, the truth sets us free. There's no more lies. There's no more dark corners. There's no more shadows. There's no more fake faces. God doesn't want us just to avoid sin, to lose our fascination with it. He wants us to expose it, to refute it, to show it for what it really is. It's fed us a bag of lies, and He wants the truth to be known. Are you a sin exposer? Are you more and more identifying it in your own life for what it is? That is not good for me. That is not what God wants for me. I do not want that anymore. There's that repentance part again. I want God's way. I want the truth in my life. Are you a sin exposer in the lives of others? Now, as soon as I say that, there's a caution flag that pops up in my head. We need to be careful here. There are some people who love being the police for God. You like being detectives, and you like picking out everybody else's sin. That is not what this is talking about. Remember verse 1 said walking in love? That's not love. If you're walking in love, you are not walking around pointing out everybody else's faults. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 seems to give the impression when I'm walking in love, I'd be more likely to overlook your faults in terms of how it relates to me. But when I see sin, when I see something in your life that is clearly not of the Lord tearing your life apart, love would say, hey, did you know that's going to hurt? I mean, if I'm, if I'm standing in front of my house and there's a bridge down the road and the bridge is out and somebody knocked over the sign and people aren't seeing the sign anymore, is it going to be unloving for me to stand in the middle of the street and say, don't go down the street? So you won't go over the bridge. 
God says when we see that happening, it bothers us that somebody's life is going to be torn apart and we lovingly share the truth with that person. Let me give you an example. Since 1973, millions of babies have never seen the light of day because of abortion. Now let me say something here. There are some of us here this morning probably who have experienced or been a part of abortion. I want to tell you, there is nothing beyond God's ability to forgive. If you've been through that in your life, if you've done that in your life, if you've made that choice or you've been a part of a choice like that, today Jesus Christ has already paid for that. and He wants to cleanse that. He wants to forgive that. He wants to give you that brand new life. He wants that to be, He doesn't want that to be a dark corner for you anymore. He wants to shine the light on that and help that to heal. But many people have made that choice. And because advocates for abortion can be pretty aggressive sometimes, Christians many times have shied away from defending the unborn. But you know what I found? Truth is powerful. All we have to do is tell the truth. Okay, <laughs> if we have a question about whether this is really a life, for those who are, who are for abortion, we say, okay, well, let's just get the facts on the table. Let's get the ultrasound out, amen? I mean, let's just get the picture out. This is a baby. You see that little heartbeat in there? That is real. The truth, God is not afraid of. The, the tests of medicine, the conscience of that young lady, all of it testifies to the truth that God's Word teaches. That baby deserves to live. I was watching last night the Democratic presidential candidates uh, debate. It broke my heart. They started talking about choice and abortion and all that. And there's just some abstract idea out there. There is a baby that is going to die. That's the truth. The Bible says it's disgraceful to even talk about what goes on in the dark corners of this world. In verses 12 through 13, he said that. But when God's light shines on it, it becomes more and more clear. You see the hope in that, the light that shines brighter and brighter. And in fact, he says, but all things become visible when they're exposed by the light, by the light of God's word and God's love. For everything that becomes visible is light. And it's hard to kind of translate that or to interpret that, but it's almost like he's saying God's light is so powerful that the things that used to be dark, they themselves become part of the light now. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have no reason to back down from sin in fear. What we have, what we are sharing, is nothing to be ashamed of. It does not need to be and should not be hidden. Sometimes when I'm watching those political debates and things like that, or when I'm looking at the, the political arena, I wonder why politicians allow other politicians to do such wrong. But you know what? Then I'm reminded. It's because they don't want what they're doing to be investigated they don't want what they're doing to be uncovered and so it's just kind of this you know hey you can do what you want to do because i'm not going to tell on you because i'm doing what i want to do and if and if i tell on you then you'll tell on me and then i'll get in trouble in contrast to that listen to the great charles spurgeon the great man of god he once told a biographer that that author as far as he was concerned could write his life story in the skies if he wanted spurgeon said i have nothing to hide Amen, friends? Most of us are probably not there yet, are we? I say there's some things in my past that I don't want anybody to ever know about. 
But you know what? The more that Christ shines his light in my life, the more freed up I get from those things. And you know what? I can confidently say that is not me anymore. And I don't really care who knows about it. Amen? You see the power, the freedom that Christ can bring to your life. So many of us have those closets, have the things that we're trying to hide. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of that area. Some of us right now, we're not able to move forward in our walk with Christ because we've got things that we're wanting nobody to see. And I want to challenge you today to let Christ shine the light. That's not to say you have to air out all your dirty laundry. You have to tell everybody your business. But don't be afraid for Jesus to open that door. Amen? And to shine his light there. Could you say what Spurgeon did about his life? I know at first it's a challenge to let God do that. And initially, it can be very painful. In fact, have you ever noticed that when you're walking around at night, you've been asleep, you've been in the darkness, the lights are off. You ever turn on a 100-watt light bulb? about that time what happens please we've got two lights in our bathroom you know why so you can ease yourself into it in the morning (laughs) here's the 40 watt and here's the next one right listen that's just an illustration of what christ's light shining some of you here today jesus begins to shine the light and you get scared and run I want to encourage you to come out of the darkness, to let Christ shine His light there. And more and more, you won't be intimidated by the truth. You'll find the joy in that, of letting Jesus see it and deal with it and do what needs to be done with it. And there'll be less and less deception, less and less hurt and pain, and you will be more and more set free. So Jesus says, in verse, or Paul says in verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wow, that's like a call, isn't it? That sounds like Jesus telling Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus is saying to us, Christian, quit going back in the coffin. Get out of that thing. Your clothes, you don't need those dirty clothes. I got some new threads for you. Get out of the coffin. Walk out of the funeral home and start living your life. Amen? Which way are you going? Are you participating, partnering, connecting with sin? Or are you beginning to expose it, to show it for what it really is? The Bible says we have no part with that kind of stuff. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. It'll tell you. Jesus says, do not be bound together, or God's word says, do not be bound together with unbelievers, or or basically he's talking about a sin in general. You you can have no close connection, partnership with things that are not of God for what partnership is righteousness and lawlessness. It goes on through there. And then he says in verse 17, therefore come out from their midst and be separate. And then he says, and do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. Christians, this is not saying that we should get so holy that we can't hang around people who, who, who don't walk with God. You know what? Jesus, if he just wanted us to be like that, he'd take us to heaven. 1 Peter 2 tells us that he wants us to shine the light of Christ, to show. He wants us to be different so that we can show the love of Christ to so many who haven't yet experienced that. But what he's challenging us to today is, listen, you can never be an influence on somebody else if you're still riding the fence. So if there's something in your life 
that could be named about you that would give the impression or indication that you're more partnered with sin than with God. Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time to call it what it is. You want to be over here, but in reality, you're over here. It's time to make a change. If you're a Christian today, you say, you know what, Robbie? I know I'm on the Lord's side. I know I've received Christ. I know He lives in my heart. I'm just struggling. Then I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to cry out to God for help. To say, God, help me to change this. Help me to get rid of this. You're putting your finger on it, so I believe that you're pointing this out. You're shining your light on it, and I'm trusting you like Abraham to help me go places I've never gone before. Whatever it is this morning, though, you've got a decision to make. Which side are you standing on? And what is God wanting to say as a result of revealing that? Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord, I I just want to say to you, I believe many people have received Christ as their Savior. But they're struggling with that relationship because they're straddling. They're trying to straddle the fence. We want to follow Christ, but we don't want anybody to know about it. We want to go where Jesus is going, but we want to try not to be too visible about it. We don't want that to be too... We don't, we're not sure about the changes. We're not sure where that's going to take us. And so we've got one foot walking with God, one foot going the other direction. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? If you're going to walk with God, you've got to agree with Him and whatever He's putting His finger on this morning to allow Him to do that work in your life. If you're not a Christian here today, Frank, can I just tell you something? You're right. There's something not right between you and God. There's something that stands between you and Him. It's this thing called sin. And the Bible says that that will destroy your life in this lifetime. And ultimately, it will cause you to be separated from God forever. That sense that you have is right. But I've got good news. Jesus Christ paid for that. He wants to allocate to your life His righteousness. And He wants to allocate to His life your sin. That's a great offer, isn't it? Nothing for everything. (laughs) Death for life. Darkness for light. But it's going to mean you're going to have to trust Him. Do you believe? Oh, yes, I know Jesus died on the cross. No, not do you affirm the facts. Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you said, I need you, Lord. I invite you to come into my life to wash my sins away and be my Savior. Come inhabit my life and lead me in the path that you would have me to go. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. I thank you that we're learning today that it matters how we live our life. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be a good person to get to heaven. But Lord Jesus, if I am going to heaven... You're speaking to me that I, I will want to be a good person. It's, it's not a requirement. It's evidence. And I pray if somebody's not showing evidence today that that would bother them. They would either receive Christ as their Savior for the first time 
or Lord, they take those steps of growth that you're calling them to. In these next few moments, I pray that your will would be accomplished in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're kind of new to New Hope, let me just explain what we do next in our service. It's called an invitation. What we do is we invite people to respond to whatever God has said to you today. There's a great offer that's gone out today. Jesus wants to forgive you. He cares so much for you, friend. That sin is going to destroy your life. There's a lie at the end of that path. You may not see it now. The signs might be bright and beautiful right now, but there's a bridge that's out. And He doesn't want you to experience that. He has so much for you. Would you respond to that right now?